Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. The Cubs come pouring out of the dugout. Jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious 10-year-olds. The Cubs have done it. The longest drought in the history of American sports is over, and the celebration begins. Never gets old, Matt Spiegel. It does not. November 2nd, 2016, today being the third, yesterday being the second. And as we bring in our friend Pat Hughes from the broadcast team, um, I'll say to you, Bruce Levine, and to Pat, I think November 2nd should be a holiday in Chicago. Um, and not, not Cubsmas or Cubsmuka or anything like that, because we want to avoid religious partisanship. How about Cubs giving, as, as we are in the spirit of like gratitude? It. November 2nd as Cubs giving every year. Pat, Welcome, what do you Pat. Think? Uh, it, it doesn't get old to hear it on your end, I'm sure, either. Bruce and Matt, great to be with you guys. Uh, I don't think I ever will get tired of hearing about that, uh, hearing that play. I, I still, you know, it's really against all logic. I still get kind of nervous when I watch or listen to the final minutes of that game uh, because I know how it turned out, obviously. But the, the tension was so palpable and so intense uh, at that moment um, it's it's literally an unforgettable moment and feeling and experience for me, and I'm sure it will be for the rest of my life. I, I think you're right. You know, I'm still expecting Brian to throw that ball into the stands uh, <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know why, but I guess it's so many years of being a uh, Chicago person, seeing so many disappointments with Chicago teams over the years that uh, you just, you know, you hold on to that moment just like uh, the White Sox fans and their front office and uh, people that root for the White Sox do for 2005 and, you know, the end to that game that Canerico uh, catches that, you know, gets that the ground ball and he, he's out at first. It's the same thing. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a prize, Pat. Pat, who, Pat Hughes, our guest on Inside the Clubhouse. And, uh, Pat, uh, when, when you're talking about the two years, what other things went through your mind uh, as you were uh, broadcasting that last hour? Well, you think about how much that game meant to so many people, and I mean millions of people across the globe, um, people who have been Cub fans their whole lives, 70, 80, 90-year-old people who had never experienced a Cubs World Series championship. Finally, it happened. Um, and then you started thinking about the people who never did get to experience that, uh, people just in the broadcast business like Harry Carey and Jack Brickhouse and Arnie Harris, the director on WGN-TV for all those years, uh, among others, Lou Boudreau, uh, Vince Lloyd, uh, Jack Quinlan. Uh, you start thinking about all the people who never got to experience it. 
Um, and then, of course, my partner, Ron Santo and Ernie Banks, uh, you know how much it would have meant to both of those guys to have been there. And I, I, I almost feel emotional right now just talking about that. But it was, it was uh, far beyond uh, Cleveland. It was far beyond the United States. It was really all over the world, Cub fans who were just pulling for the team to win that final game. And I just knew how much it meant to them. And it was kind of almost an overwhelming feeling, really, uh, when you think about all the people and all the heartbreaks over the years and, and, and how much it meant to them. So th- th- those were the thoughts in my mind. It was, it was not the easiest game for me to broadcast, let me put it that way. You have a piece of uh, baseball history that you are uh, uh, able to offer people out there. Tell us about uh, what you have as far as your scorecard from that game. Well, I did save the scorecard, and Mitch Rosen, our great boss at the score, uh, he requested a copy of it shortly after the World Series, about a month later. And he said, I'd like to you know, run off maybe 100 copies and send it out to our sponsors and, and uh, to some of the people who work at the score. Um, and I said, well, great, great, Mitch, that's fine. You know, be my guest. And, and people seemed to like it, and they said, uh, gee, I, I'd like to get another copy of that. And and then you, Bruce, yourself, you were gracious enough uh, about a year ago. Uh, there was an event uh, in the northern suburban area. And you've been doing that event for years and years. We, Max and, and Benny's, you mean? Yeah, I remember yes, that. And you said, why don't you bring some of those scorecards along? And so I did. And people snapped them right up, and, and they seemed to really like them. And then finally, after about a year and a half after the World Series, uh, it dawned on me that, hey, this might be something that, that people would really like. And we put it on the website, and sure enough, um, people have, have loved it, and I've loved giving it uh, out to people. And um, there's a charitable tie-in as well with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, so it's all good. And the scorecards are available at BaseballVoices.com, uh, the Game 7 scorecard. But it will be a reminder for you of one of the great moments in the history of Chicago sports. And you have them signed and framed as well, right? I, I do. Uh, I'll sign them any way you like, you know, to uh, you or whomever, a family <laughs> member, Uncle Charlie, Aunt Betty, whoever you want. Uh, we're happy to do that. Uh, Aunt Betty's not a real fan. She doesn't deserve it, Pat. Well, yeah. then forget Aunt Betty. But, but, uh, <laughs> I, actually, I've, I've got one on my wall at home because uh, they, they handed a couple out here at the, at the radio station, but it's not signed, so i got to in, invite you over and, and, and maybe sign that, Pat. Well, that, that's fine. Make me an offer, as I always say. <laughs> um, but, no, we, we're, the frame versions, too, are going to be out. Uh, we're going to release those, I think, Monday or Tuesday of this next week. And, and those are really sharp. My, uh, my brother-in-law is a woodworking genius, and it comes in a, a professionally custom-made solid cherry wood frame. They really look sharp. And, and uh, you know, people like it, like it when I put, say, example, two, two Bruce or two Matt, the Chicago Cubs win the World Series, and then I sign my name. And, and, and I love doing it. I really do, because I know it's going to be a memory that people will cherish forever. Without a doubt. Uh, Pat Hughes with us here on The Score. Um, Pat, I had the absurd good fortune to be standing behind you in the broadcast booth at that moment, because I was in the, uh, uh, the auxiliary press box way down the right field line, but, but wanted to come for a, a better view there at the end. 
And yesterday I shared the video for the first time um, that I ever had. Happens to be a minute and eight seconds long. So it happens to be 108, the length of the video. But to your point about that not being an easy game to broadcast, there you are at that moment, the one that we just heard, while I'm running around shooting video. Mark Grody is a pro, but shooting video at the same time. Mitch Rosen's a pro, but he's shooting video at the same time. <laughs> I, I don't think Ron Coomer was, but 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 other than that, you're the only guy who's actually working while we're all <laughs> we're all trying to take the moment in and commemorate it forever. I love the fact that it's 108, Matt. That's a nice little tie in 108 years and a, a minute and eight seconds. Very nicely done there. But you know, it's it's funny. I, I was so much into the moment and and concentrating on on doing the very best that I possibly could. Uh, I actually asked Ron Coomer about two months ago uh, because somebody brought it up and they said, "What was that like?" and and I said, Ron, did I stand up at that last moment? Were you and I both standing nope. uh, during the final out of the World Series? He said, nope, nope, you were sitting. So, <laughs> so that I, I was really oblivious to almost everything else around me. Uh, I did not know that you and, and, the, and Mark and, and Mitch were all shooting video uh, because I, I had some other things on my mind at that moment, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, the first broadcast of a... Chicago Cubs World Championship uh, was yours and Ron's to have. How uh, fitting and, and great after your long career in broadcasting as well as with the Cubs now for going on 22 years now, Pat? Nope. Next year is going to be number 24. Can 24, you believe that? Losing, wow. losing yeah. time. Uh, by the way, uh, what, what's with the, the new bobblehead? I saw that in the Phil Rosenthal story yesterday. <laughs> There's a bobblehead of you and, uh, and a whole story in there. Well, it's a fun thing, and um, it, I, I'm very pleased to say that the initial order of the the blue shirts that I'm wearing on the bobblehead, those were sold out. They they sold out uh, in one day. Uh, they made 2,016 of them, and people are ordering those. You can still order at uh, bobbleheadhall.com. Not not bobblehead doll. This is as in bobblehead hall of fame. So go to bobbleheadhall.com, and you can pre-order. And I'm wearing a red shirt there. And, and the cool thing is, we've been talking about the, the Game 7 of the World Series, it has an audio clip built into the bobblehead doll where you punch a little button and you hear the final call. You know, the Chicago awesome. Cubs win the World Series. Great. So that, that also will be a nice little memento. Well, Pat, it's going to be an awfully interesting year upcoming. The Brewers are obviously for real. The Cardinals are coming, too. The Pittsburgh Pirates were a bit of a surprise. Cubs have their hands full, don't they? Uh, they do, and that's the way it should be. It's, I, I think you could make a case, Matt, really, that this is uh, top to bottom, the number one division in, in all of baseball. Uh, even the Reds, for a while there in June and July, they were the best team in the division for about a month and a half. Uh, the Pirates, with their young pitching, uh, they're going to be good. Uh, you know the Cardinals are going to be good. They always uh, seem to be competitive. And Milwaukee, my goodness, what a year they had. They came out of nowhere to stun the Cubs at the very end and win the division. So, yes, it'll be, uh, it'll be a very interesting uh, winter to see what all of these teams and their front offices do to replenish and fortify their ball clubs. But um, it should be very, very competitive and very interesting. I'm, I'm excited about it. Baseballvoices.com. Get your Christmas and holiday gifts 
Uh, nothing more perfect than the Cubs win the World Series signature of Pat Hughes of his scorecard from the first championship ever broadcast of the Chicago Cubs on the radio. Pat, uh, have a great holiday season. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for joining Matt and I on Inside the Clubhouse today. Bruce, it's always a pleasure. I hope you and Matt have a great rest of the show and happy holidays, okay? Same. Thank, Thank you, you, Pat. Thank you, Pat. See you guys. See you later. That's Pat Hughes. Once again, baseballvoices.com if you want to get that scorecard. Absolutely. And he has all those other CDs of great broadcasters. Uh, it's a collection that Pat has done of Hall of Fame broadcasters. Uh, you can have your pick out. Uh, enjoy it because it's for the for the true baseball fan who loves Baseball on the radio, it is perfect. Rick Hahn, the general manager of the Chicago White Sox, next on Inside the Clubhouse. It's Inside the Clubhouse right here on 670 The Score. I am Matt Spiegel. He is Bruce Levine. I, I usually am. I play him on the radio yeah. most of the time. Yeah, not play. Sometimes not as well as others, but uh, certainly we talk baseball here every single Saturday, 52 weeks out of the year. From 9 until 11 a.m., Chicago baseball, all things baseball here is what this show is all about. And Matt has uh, joined me for the last eight weeks, my permanent co-host, which is great, as uh, his passion, like mine, is the sport of baseball. Mm -hmm. And the hot stove season, for some people is their favorite time to listen and talk. Well, I, you know, I saw a couple rumors that the Indians are going to have to do some things, like maybe trading Corey Kluber. Uh, boy, would that be an ugly thing for Indians fans to have to swallow the potential trades of, of either Corey Kluber or Carlos Carrasco from their rotation just to, to create some I'll, I'll financial you, flexibility. Market constraints right. I'll is give the phrase you, I'll I I'll give you what the market constraint is. An average of... 15,000 people showing up a night. Whether they're good or not, and they have been I mean, great. It's, it's, sometimes it ticks up toward um, 20,000, but uh, it's the smallest of small markets with a fan base uh, that, uh, you know, it's a city that has really never recovered from the crash of 2008, and uh, jobs are still not plentiful there, and therefore mm. uh, it is a tough market for Chris Antanasio, the uh, general manager, vice president and general manager of that team, to figure out when he's uh, trying to figure out his payroll, stay competitive in the division, win another division, uh, try to win another World Series, and yet uh, keep it to the point where uh, their payroll it doesn't skyrocket. I mean, they've got two legit annual MVP candidates in Francisco Lindor and Jose Martinez, and then they have a tremendous assortment of, of of very good starting pitchers, but to have to lose a couple of those, and I I don't think they'll be able to be in their own free agent market for their guys, and maybe they don't want to be anyway. But Cody Allen and Andrew Miller, the relievers that they have used uh, slash abused to great extents over the past three years or so. So, boy, that 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 division could be uh, could be coming back to the pack if the Indians have to have to deal off some stuff. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, and we're, we're supposed to talk to, to Rick Hahn of the White Sox in just a, a minute or two here. Uh, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, are they going to get the length of deals similar to what Giancarlo Stanton got? I've seen that rumored as well, that Giancarlo Stanton got 13 years 
from the uh, from the Marlins, and I have se- or t- I believe it was twelve years. Sorry, twelve years, and I have seen both thirteen and fourteen year rumors for Harper and Machado. Can you believe that? Yeah, I mean uh, the amount of money is uh, you know it's the highest AAV of any uh, player for Giancarlo Stanton, and uh, you know uh, the agents are going to want thirteen year deals. I don't know if there's two teams uh, that well, would be able to let the ever changing world of free agency as we saw it last year certainly Mm -hmm. uh, tells us that that might not be in the cards. We are fortunate to be joined by the vice president, executive vice president, rather, and general manager of the Chicago White Sox, Rick Hahn on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Rick. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. So uh, let's start out by looking at your Chicago White Sox and knowing you're going to the general manager's meetings here in just a day and a half or so. And that the free agents and their their rep- representatives are going to be around in mass. How do the White Sox uh, look at free agency this year? And what would your approach be that you can uh, share with us? You know, I think our approach to the off season is similar to what it's been over the last couple, as we began this rebuild in earnest about two years ago at the G- these GM meetings. We're still focused on putting ourselves in the best position for the long term. Uh, to put ourselves in a position to go on uh, multiple runs for multiple championships. But the good news is is that's starting to get a little bit closer now. Obviously, we've been through two uh, difficult years at the big league level with regards to the rebuild. Uh, but as you look at our projected rosters for, let's say, Birmingham at AA and above come opening day 19, you're starting to see a bit of a critical mass of, of position players and, and arms that are of the potential to make that kind of impact and to have that long-term success. So ideally, we continue to add pieces that are on that similar time horizon and then solidifies that future core. That said, we obviously have some short-term needs that need to be addressed until that group is ready. Uh, as we talked about at the end of the season, uh, there certainly are needs in the, on the pitching staff, uh, in the rotation and in the bullpen. And if there's the opportunity to make an upgrade uh, that lasts for the long term, we'll absolutely move on it. If there's only the opportunities to uh, improve the short term until this group of prospects is ready to coalesce at the big league level and make a big impact, then we'll do things in free agency or via trade that, that improve us in the short term, but obviously don't complicate things for us in the, in the long term, which is still taking uh, priority for us. You and Rick and – I'm sorry, you and Kenny and Jerry – haven't done this before, and you've seen other people do it. But when will you know it's time to go out and get a quote-unquote signature guy, a guy you know maybe in free agency, maybe via trade, that uh, you know you want to build around, that you know has leadership quality, that you know uh, can be the face of an organization going forward? You know, we've we've spent a lot of time over the last 18 years looking to add premium guys when the situation has been right. Uh, and over the course of time, we've, we've been able to do that. Uh, I think if, when you're talking about this specific juncture of, of, in terms of where we are in the rebuild, mm-hmm. we can't control when premium guys become available. But if we see them as potential fits for the long term, we're not afraid to, to move on that and try to convert. Now, obviously, individual free agents, you can never guarantee you're going to be able to sign player X. The bidding for especially premium guys is, is robust, and, and the individual individual players have certain priorities to them 
and to their families that may or may not align with, with being a White Sox. Uh, that said, we know that, again, you can't control when certain guys become available, and even if it may be, quote-unquote, a year too soon, uh, we aren't, uh, aren't going to shy away from potentially trying to convert on a player like that if we see them as a, as a potential long-term fit and, and boost to what we're trying to do here. All right, I heard it. So Manny Machado's coming. Good. Glad, glad, we, <laughs> glad we sorted that out. Thanks, Rick. Um, I, Rick, wanted to ask you about Yoan Moncada. I, I thought when Paul Konerko was in with Hawk Harrelson, he was brilliant, as he always is, talking about hitting, right? Talking about how Moncada's patience was, was a negative in terms of you have to establish the reputation that you can hit before you get the calls. Um, and I, I wondered if, if, that's, if you guys have discussed that, if you agree with that, and what the plan might be for Moncada this offseason. You know, I, I didn't hear Paulie's comments on that, so I, I can't really speak exactly to that. But I will say, starting with what Moncada has from a plate discipline standpoint is a big positive. Mm-hmm. Certainly I understand the, the notion that he got uh, punched out on borderline pitches too much and is a young player. Uh, you aren't going to tend to get those calls. Uh, I also agree with, the, I think, the general sentiment that being more aggressive on pitches to hit early in the count is going to serve him well. But I think if you look at this player holistically, you look at the fact that he's 23 years old, he's been playing professionally now in the States for a little over three years, but he still presents with this uncanny eye and this ability to do damage on pitches that he you know, is ready to square up. That's a good starter set. I'd much rather have him need to be prodded to be a little bit more aggressive to maybe do damage on his pitch a little earlier in the count as opposed to having someone who can do some damage but has no concept of the strike zone or what he should or should not swing at. So, yes, there's absolutely the need for improvement. There's absolutely the need to uh, do more damage on pitches that earlier in the count. But at the same time, this is a real good position to have a 23-year-old in when it comes to what his overall offensive profile is likely to be for the long term. He has the things that are much, much harder to teach uh, than, than you know, the discipline element that, uh, that, that maybe needs to be adjusted a little bit to get him to do damage earlier in the count. In Todd Steverson, you have a great communicator, a guy that uh, works extremely hard at his job as hitting coach a guy that's always out there with his players working early. Uh, but uh, from the perspective of what you expect uh, and your organization expects from a hitting coach, uh, how do you define success for uh, an instructor? And, and I say that because a lot of people now are year to year and with launch angle and with different approaches being out there uh, you know, so much, uh, they're, they're changing their hitting instructors so often. What do you expect? What's the philosophy that he espouses and that uh, you guys cling to? You know, there's, it, it's funny because it, it is very difficult across the board to evaluate a manager and coaching staff when you're in the process of a rebuild because obviously the big league performance, the metrics, what you're normally judging guys by in terms of wins and losses and therefore success in professional sports, tend not to be there because the roster is going through a transition. So, and you add on top of that hitting coaches, which is one of the most difficult jobs in, in, in all of baseball and one that you do see a great amount of turnover because just based upon how difficult it is to hit at the big leagues and you're handling 12, 13 guys uh, at a time, invariably there's going to be guys going through slumps and there's going to be guys who, in theory, you would think hey, maybe they need to hear a different voice. 
But when we're evaluating our coaches and we're going through this process here, as we stated back when, when this rebuild started, we wanted to have guys in place who had uh, a history with, with teaching, a guys who had a, a history of establishing organizational priorities, articulating them to players, making sure that message is getting through to the player, and holding them accountable for either meeting or not meeting our, our expectations and complying with that philosophy. So when we're looking at, to answer your question, <clears throat> excuse me, when we're evaluating the of our coaches, it's really more along those lines. Are they establishing the right priorities? Are they holding players accountable? Are they able to get through to the player uh, to have them execute the plan that we want them to execute? And a lot of that stuff is, is tough to see during a rebuild when you're just looking at sort of the results of, of individual right. players at, at the big league level. Uh, again, if, if we felt there was a disconnect in one of those, if they weren't didn't have the right priorities or they weren't able to communicate to the player, it wasn't getting through, or they were letting players off if they weren't complying with what we wanted to do, that's when you'd see us making a change. I wanted to ask you about two young pitchers who are obviously very important long-term. Um, the Michael Kopech experience was absolutely electric at your ballpark. And then, of course, so sad. Uh, how's he doing with the timeline, and uh, what are your expectations for, for when he'll be back to help? You know, it, everything's going according to plan, and you're absolutely right that that was one heck of a gut punch uh, that we all that we all received there late in the season uh, when when Michael went down. If there's any any silver lining to it, I suppose it's, it is the timing, and that is that he continues to be on a pace that he will be without restriction by the start of the 2020 season. So it, it, it not trying to. You know, sugarcoat or avoid the fact that we're going to lose the 2019 season and the development time that comes with it, which which stinks. Uh, but at the same time, if this was going to happen, uh, now I guess would be the ideal time, given what how he factors in for for the long term. And, and we fully expect come 2020, he'll be back out there competing and, and helping us win. And uh, still has an extremely, extremely bright future with us. And then the other guy that I wanted to ask about is Dylan Cease, who was just so brilliant and climbed up everybody's rankings, finished the year at double at A. How aggressive do you want to be with him, knowing the volatility of arms as you just experienced? You don't know when they might blow, if they're going to at all. And he's already had Tommy John once. He has, and, and knock on wood, he's doing great. And really the only thing that is probably holding Dylan back in the 2019 season from contributing at the big league level is that innings base. And from a developmental standpoint, in terms of strictly looking at his, his foundation of innings pitched and what you can full, what you can reasonably expect going forward, he's kind of at the same spot that Kopech was a year ago at this time. Uh, when we acquired both players, obviously basically a year apart, let's say, or a season apart, their career high in innings due to injury or other issues was in the 70s or 80s. Then that first full season with us, Dylan last year in 18 and Michael in 17, they each got to the 120, 130 range in terms of innings pitched. Obviously, Michael last year, uh, although he uh, struggled early in the season, once he was ready to get to the big leagues, we brought him up and hoped that he was going to be able to build up into the you know 160-ish or so range to continue to have increased that season-to-season uh, innings pitch floor. So we sit here with Dylan right now. He's, he, as I said, sort of where Michael was a year ago, coming off of 125-ish for his career high in innings. So we just have to be cognizant of how we use him in 2019. We're not going to, uh, as tempting as it might be, you're not going to be looking for him to, to put up 180-plus innings next year. 
until we see how the, the season starts playing out. So uh, his future is extremely bright, and again, if, if for whatever reason he was building off a much higher base, you could say, boy, this guy's going to have a real impact uh, for the bulk, if not the entirety of the 2019 season, and in Chicago, I mean. Executive Vice said, President, I'm sorry, Rick, finish yep. your thought. No, that said, the future with him, again, health permitting, is extremely bright, and uh, you're going to start seeing things from him in the, in the not-too-distant future, I believe. Executive Vice President and General Manager Rick Hahn joining us for a few more minutes, very gracious with his time today, headed off to the GM meetings next week that uh, start in Carlsbad uh, on Tuesday and go through Thursday morning. Rick, uh, your feelings, thoughts, um, emotions when you watched uh, Chris Sale in the playoffs and then closing out the uh, World Series by going back uh, to the future and uh, where he started out as a Chicago White Sox in the bullpen, closing out the, the final World Series games. You, you, game, your thoughts. You know, it, it, obviously on the individual basis, I'm happy for Chris. Still consider Chris a friend. Spoke with him when uh, they were last in town. Saw his dad at the All-Star game. And, and there's still uh, a friendship there and, and a relationship where you're, you're happy for the individual. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say there's an element of it being a little bittersweet that obviously we envisioned for a long time him doing that in our uniform. And when you see it happen elsewhere, you're happy for the guy, but at the same time, you feel that element of, of missing out. Uh, obviously, when you make a trade throughout the game, you, you hope for these win-win situations. Given where we were in our success cycle and Boston was in theirs, uh, we certainly aligned where they could get potentially a short-term win with Chris, as we've now seen them do. And our portion was going to be a longer-term win with the players like Mankata and Kopech and Basabi that we received in that trade. So... They got theirs. Now it's uh, now it's on us in the coming years to get ours and make that a, a true win-win trade and, and worthwhile for both of us. Well, there's your signature guy for 2020, a free agent, Chris Sale. Uh, you're, you're breaking up. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Well, Matt. well, well. We're, it's a little before that. You got. You, yeah, you, I mean, you can't talk about a player who's under contract control elsewhere. Well, anyway, how, so. how, about, how about a guy who's so. not under control? You need a free agent pitcher for for right now, very potentially. Is James Shields somebody you'd consider bringing back, even uh, even though he's now a free agent because of his mentoring uh, uh, capabilities and his ability to eat innings these days? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Matt. I mean, I can't tell you how many different articles I read this year where. Unbeknownst to me, you'd see this mentioned by a minor league pitcher, with Cease, who you guys brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Dane Dunning had one earlier. Where yep. out of nowhere, they're talking about the impact that James Shields had on them, whether it's with, you know, a pitch grip or pitch usage or how they're approaching the game, and that is an element of what we are looking for. If we if we do wind up with some you know shorter term deals and more veteran type guys that we bring in. Part of that is the impact they can have on, on, on the future and, and the mentoring element of that, and, and James certainly filled that role real well uh, over the last couple of seasons. So we're, we're, we're certainly not closing the door to that, and uh, we'll just have to see how the coming weeks and months unfold here. Rick, uh, we appreciate your time as always. Uh, look forward to seeing you in Carlsbad. I know uh, the White Sox are always under the radar. Nobody should underestimate uh, what you might be doing there. Sounds like a good plan. I like it, Bruce. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate it very much. That's uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Take you care. Got it. It's Rick Hahn, the general manager 
of the uh, Chicago White Sox. Yeah, David Price brought up James Shields when asked about his changeup just in this World Series. It was like, what, what, when did the changeup get good for you, said James Shields down in Tampa Bay. Right. So. And uh, underrated, uh, the ability showed uh, one of the top uh, innings eaters, as you mentioned, Matt, mm. and also uh, pitched seven innings or more eight times. I think there was only three other guys that did that all year. Yeah, I, I understand it can be a frustrating moment when you're thinking about just adding guys who can help you sort of keep a place, you know, I just, just like get through a year as you wait for better things, but such is the reality of a rebuild. I prefer Chris Sale. In, in one more year. <laughs> and and Rick, you know, honestly, I put him in a position where he couldn't really talk about it because um, when you start talking about anything about another player uh-huh. as, as an executive, you're tampering. Right, but that uncomfortable laugh told us something, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, what, what, what would be greater for White Sox fans to see free agent Chris Sale be added to a already electric young pitching staff to uh, – Finally put the pedal on the metal and go forward toward competing for a championship. Got a few minutes to take your phone calls if you want to hop in at 312-644-6767. You can text us at 67011. Steve Rosenblum coming up at the top of the hour uh, when I will stick around. But more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and me, Matt Spiegel, on the score. The bottom of the hour on the score was brought to you by Northwestern Basketball. Coach Collins and Northwestern Basketball return to the new Welsh Ryan Arena this season. Don't miss your chance to catch the Wildcats season tickets on sale at nusports.com. Man, I'm hungry. I want some Kreplach. Okay, we'll have Max and Benny's uh, send you a bowl. They always, uh, you know, they always take care of our holiday party here for Mitch. I and, know. Uh, so, uh, but it's never not time to go to Max and Benny's. I, know, I might, I might not be here for the holiday party. Is it on a Saturday? We'll have to ship you some uh, locks and bagels. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Are you a Nova fan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just FedEx me some Kreplach. There's do. that's a sentence that's never been said before. So we just talked to Rick Hahn of the White Sox, and some guys want to call and talk about it. This is Mike downtown on Inside the Clubhouse. What do you say, Mike? How are you? Oh. Well, good morning. I'm just about to sign a check for my renewal of my season tickets, and it's a hard to sign it. Uh, I think Rick Hahn is a, is, a, is a good man and is a bright man, but I am just so tired of his press release-type comments. We're looking at – and, Bruce, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm looking at the roster again. I have my renewal form on my desk. This looks like a triple-A team again. Um, and at some point – the White Sox have to get serious. You can only do, you can only treat your fans badly, you know, uh, so many years in a row. But last year was Triple A team, the year before it, and this year, if you look at every position, you're going. I'm getting excited about Daniel Palka coming back. I'm going to spend X thousands of dollars because uh, I have to believe in Rick Hahn. It's very frustrating. I don't know if the Sox get that. Well, Eloy's Sox- coming. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and the the key to watching the White Sox, I think Daryl and Matt is watch the starting pitchers and if they evolve quickly here. And if as um, Matt asked Rick about Dylan Cease and how quickly he can get here, because once you establish a starting rotation and if these guys click, the other things can come around. I agree with you, position player wise, they are far away, but Eloy should add to that mix. And uh, you're going to look for growth, obviously, from Mankata and Anderson. Um, And the rest is still a work in progress. And I I agree with you on the idea that uh, should you spend your residual dollars or not, but you don't want to kick yourself 
uh, a year from now in 2020, giving up those seats that you've had for a long time when the team possibly gets good? Well, Mike, I, I would quibble with the phrase, treat your fans badly, because they're asking you to understand what they're doing. And they're asking you to understand that they are not prioritizing winning on the major league level. And while well, Matt, stop well, right there. Well, no, hold on. Right. No, hold on. Because I'm, I'm just the, clearly, and, and it, he's said it very clearly. And I, and you don't have to accept it. And perhaps you don't want to, but they're trying to give you cheaper tickets when they can. They're trying to give you better concessions, better ballpark experience, yada yada, all those kind of things. While they're asking for your patience as they spend on different things, do you understand what they're doing? It's a matter of whether you want to accept it or not. No, Matt. Matt, I disagree with you entirely. I I, th- I think what. First of all, I think Sox fans are saying, you know, we, uh, you know, if you ask us to, uh, to wait for Eloy, well, we waited for Moncada. That didn't work out so well. The fundamental issue, which I, and again, I appreciate Rick Hahn, what he does, the product on the field, it, it really should Major League Baseball fans be forced to pay uh, for that type of baseball product? Is it fair as a, to the fans to ask them to, to watch those players and pay major league prices, it really is a question of whether or not rebuilds are, are appropriate uh, when you are asking people to pay. This isn't Charlotte. This isn't Birmingham. No, it You're isn't. A- but but look at the teams that have just won the World Series. The Astros yeah, went through know, a rebuild. The Cubs what, Matt, went through a rebuild. The Royals went through not, a not rebuild. Every, not everyone's guaranteed to win. Without a doubt. Okay. Without and a then, doubt. But and Mike, Mike, I'm with you. You're you're not forced to go, but you have invested probably a lot of years in the White Sox, and you you feel you have the right. I, I would argue that they treated their fans much more poorly in the four years before they committed to this when they stunk anyway. They stunk anyway, and they were trying to win, but being very, very uh, bad about it. They were very poor at it, and their team was bad, and they had no shot and no direction. Well, uh, they were mired in mediocrity. You know, I, I'm I'm with them on their rebuild, but there's there's no guarantees that everyone is going to be the Astros and the Cubs. Well, there, that, there just isn't. That's for sure. But uh, they clearly had no success Mike, doing it the so other way. Thank you so much for your call. They, Appreciate it. They had no success doing I it mean, the other look, way. I mean, look if. You know, the, the the idea that Mike is a season ticket holder, okay, uh-huh. and he has been for a long time, you can't lose track of that investment and not seeing anything coming back. Well, I, mean, that's, I, I, that's, I respect it, but don't that, make the investment then. You don't have to make the I investment. I know, but, but you're talking about a guy that is not involved like he is. He's put his time. He's put his years in. Mm-hmm. He expects more back. I have compassion for him. But it's not about him. And that's a hard part to accept when you're a season ticket older and you feel the connection. This whole process, the entire rebuild, is not about his dollars this year and his time this year. They're, it, it, they're willing to it, sacrifice but it really, that. It really, you're right. He, they are willing to sacrifice it, but he doesn't want to give it up, and he's torn. I understand him being torn. Right. I understand him being torn. And clearly, not everybody is going to buy in. And you have certainly your right to not spend the dollars. Um, and, and I understand the skepticism, too, in terms of yeah. they haven't done well uh, trying to win straight up. So now are they? you trust them to try and do the rebuild? I understand all the skepticism. I, I hear from a lot of Cub fans who gave up their seats in 14, 15, mm-hmm. you know, back then. Most of them regret it. But at the time, it was a poor investment. 
Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of White Sox fans who are different than that caller in terms of understanding what is happening and willing to watch it and live through it, right. suffer through it but, for at least but, one but more again, year. But again, if you've had tickets for 10 or 12 years and you have your location, you give it up, you're not going to get it back when they're good. Yeah, well, it's uh, life is full of difficult well, choices. If you can send them a few bucks to help them out, Matt, I think, you know. You're asking the wrong guy. Daryl in South Holland on 670 The Score. Hello, Daryl. You're on. Hey, good morning. That was a great conversation you guys just had, man. I really appreciated that. You got it. Thank hey, you. Uh, my, 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 my question is, you know, I, I listen to Rick Hunt also, and, and I, briefly you touched on Dane Dunn, and, and I was just wondering, are, are any of those young guys earmarked to be like a closer? Do we have any any closers in the organization? Because with the way pitching is going, you know, guys are pitching five, six innings and getting into the bullpen. You know, who who's going to be our, our quote-unquote closer? Are we just going to spend the money and go get one when it's time? Well, I was on the page, Matt, and thank you for your call, Daryl. Mm-hmm. I was on the page all along that I thought Michael Kopech was going to be the closer. And he – proved to me and a lot of people that he could be more than that. But when you have 101, 102, 103, mm-hmm. is that going to be more valuable to you as a four- or five-year closer than it is a starting guy in your bullpen if you have that excess of other viable pitchers going in and which they're building on right now. As you're developing guys, they're almost always going to be given a chance to prove they can right. be a starter because that's where the most value is. But how long does 101, 102 last for a starting pitcher? I don't know. We've just been, we spent some time talking about Nate Eovaldi, who after two Tommy Johns here at what, age 28, was throwing 100, 101 for six innings in relief Wait a and still has it going. What about those Two, two and a half, three years that he missed. Uh, yeah, he absolutely he okay. missed those years. But That's my point. Well, but you don't know until a guy gets there. You don't know whether the arm is that golden, uh, amazing thing that's going to last yeah, or not until again, you actually ask him to do it. 103 in the bullpen. I mean, mm-hmm. is there a more viable guy out there that could be – the closer of the uh, decade for the Chicago White Sox. I, how about, the, let me ask you a question. If a guy's throwing 101 now, mm-hmm. and you've got another year and a half before you are actually contending, or two years before you're contending, are you sure he's going to be throwing 101 then? Well, he's he won't be back for a year. Right. But I mean, he's I'm not gonna even miss about, the whole season, so you're not going to see him till th- 2020. I think with the the way the closer advance yourself a year and a half from now. That's when you'll see Michael Kopech. Right, but the way that the bullpen and the closer situation has evolved in baseball, sometimes it's going to be a starter that you use in that role for a little while, and also it, the arms are so volatile year to year. You don't know who you're going to use from year to year. The makeup and everything else just scream at me, you know. Top closer in the game, Michael mm. Kopech. Well, it's interesting. They've got other options down there we didn't even discuss, like Alec Hansen, who had a down year in the system, but they believe a lot in him. Lots of folks to discuss and lots of weeks to do it. Uh, this has been a fun Inside yeah, the Clubhouse, uh, Bruce. Jacob, Tom, all you callers, thank you. Sorry we didn't get to you. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. You can follow me on the website. I write Cubs and Sox on 670thescore.com. I'll be at the GM meetings Monday through Thursday reporting back on all the shows, and I'll see you mm-hmm. next week. Looking forward to next week when uh, we'll get your take on everything that you observe down there at the GM meetings. Steve Rosenblum is next with a partner that sounds an awful lot like me. Uh, Inside the Clubhouse back next week. Have a great day, everybody. 
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.